Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, each and every one of you. It is it is really 
helpful in more ways than you will ever know because I firmly believe in in the power of prayer and and, and my faith which sustains me. So thank you from all corners of the the earth and the world. Thank y'all for for all of that. So with that being said, I want to wish you all a good evening and I'm glad you're here with us tonight. And there's two ways you can get on this show. One, you can be on the show as a guest. All you have to do is send me an email at offthechainradio at yahoo.com and send me your bio, your headshot, your book covers, or your music, or whatever your platform is, and I'll get you a slot on the show. The second way, if you're a little bit shy, but yet you still want to get out there, because like I said, we are we are well over 140,000 listeners with all the podcasts plus the show, and probably by now more than 100 countries. So you will definitely get out there, but if you want to to be a sponsor for the show, send me your ad, either as an MP3 format or written, and I will run it for 30 days. Now, that means for every show that I run within that 30-day period, I will run your ad. And if I have to cancel a show and reschedule it due to my husband's health, I will continue to run that ad. And I don't charge an arm and a leg, ladies and gentlemen. I charge 10 bucks. That's all I charge. And the reason for that is it's not for me to make money. It's to give you the experience of being heard in places you might not. And I want to run two ads to start the show off tonight with two young ladies that have been with me for through thick and thin. These women are absolutely fantastic. And they have put up with my having to cancel shows and, and still have stuck with me, and I am so appreciative. The first one is Cece Chamberlain. She was my very first corporate sponsor. She has a podcast called Inside Your Life with Cece, which is a motivational, passionate conversation. Cece interviews people who are living their true purpose, whether it be a professional boxer, an author, or even a history enthusiast. She strives to give you hope for a brighter day with her inspirational words. So download, subscribe, and listen as CC guides you to pursue your dreams and for you to live your best life ever. This fantastic show is available on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere podcasts are available. And ladies and gentlemen, I've been on that show and it is absolutely amazing. My second corporate sponsor is author Diane Motes, and she has a series of books about being advocate for animals. And the second in the series goes like this. Wherever a helpless animal whimpers in the dark, wherever the system fails to protect an animal, she'll be there and she isn't giving up anytime soon. So you've been warned. When Sam Holden receives a tip about a brutal dog fighting ring, she embarks on some of her most dangerous acts of vigilanteism yet. The monster known as the puppeteer circles Sam's world as she unknowingly circles his. As they chase each other, will Sam put those she loves most in harm's way in order to bust up the ring? With time running out and animals in need, the dangerous life Sam's created begins to eclipse like any other life, begins to eclipse like any uh, I can't even talk anymore, begins to eclipse any other life she could ever leave. So buy Diane Moat's latest book in the Sam Holden series, Dogfight, on Kindle today. And if you haven't read how it all started, begin the journey with Dog Gone by Diane Moat, which is also on Kindle. And, Diane, I apologize for screwing up that ad. I am now running on four hours of no sleep, I mean four days of no sleep, so I tangle my words. I will be running three more ads um, during the show, but let's get started with our show tonight. The song was very appropriate for 
the introduction of our guest. She comes to us from across, as we say here in in the States, from across the pond, that being the, the ocean. She lives in Oxfordshire, U.K., author Donna Maria McCarthy went to City College where she studied English literature, English language, sociology, and Spanish. She currently works as a receptionist for the MOD at an engineering company where her attention to detail and fantastic memory are challenged and appreciated. Donna is the author of three novels, Biddy Trot, The Hangman's Hitch, and The Meddler. And ladies and gentlemen, the beauty of these three novels is they are under a genre that is very little appreciated, very misunderstood, but is one of it has been around for centuries. It's called Gothic horror, and and uh, Don and I will discuss some old Gothic horror that you would not believe falls under that genre. So without further ado, Donna, welcome to the show. I am so, so glad that you are here. Oh, I'm absolutely loving it. Um, I'm really excited and thank you for having me. You are quite welcome. It has been a journey trying to get people rescheduled for the show and Donna not not knowing if she's going to be able to get on here for first one reason or another. So we are here and we are going to have fun and I want to start out, Donna, when you were growing up and and you were trying to make your your journey, was being a gothic horror writer on your radar at all? Sorry, sorry, you broke up a little bit there. What was that again, sorry? I said when you were a child growing up and trying to decide what path that you were going to take as an adult, did becoming a gothic horror writer cross your radar or was it something that you picked up later in life? No, not at all. Um, I always loved to write. I mean, I always had journals and I always loved to read uh, thousands of books um, which I've had to slowly get rid of over the years and then build up again. But really and truly I wanted to be an actress. So um, um, when I did go to college and study, I also went there on a theatre um, um course as well I was going to be an actress you know like how many, how many young people do you know think they're going to be a famous actor or actress and um but then I realized when I was at college that actually stemmed from my love of some English of some plays of some stories and um so but I never not really not until maybe six years ago did I ever think about writing seriously and that was when I had a friend a playwright and a screenwriter called Julianne and she read, I was writing The Hangman's Hitch, which is my debut. And I said, oh, I said, I said, I don't suppose you should have a look just to tell me what you think. Just because I, I thought, you know, it's the first thing I'd, I'd written for years was I used to write lots of angst-ridden poetry. And she said, you should try to get this published. She said, definitely. And that was the first time I ever thought about it, really. But not growing up at all. I think I was just too excited to be breaking free at 16 and sort of thinking, oh, you know, I would have conquer the world, so... No, not, never, never, not like lots of other authors know, don't they? I don't think I ever, I still don't think I know what I want to do, but I know I always want to write whatever I do. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, before before we went live, you and I were talking about literature and studying English literature 
we talked about some gothic literature that that most folks would go, what? How is that possible? And one of the things yeah. that we brought up was Macbeth by Shakespeare. That is as gothic horror as one could get in that time period. Absolutely. I mean, you think about Macbeth, even if you think about to, to reading it historically, for me, I always visualise it. It's, it's very visual. I think Gothic is very visual, and it's always very dark. The whole of the the whole of the play is incredibly dark in the in the visual that you get. And um, I, I, I think I think it's a really unique genre, actually. In the, I, I do believe it's, it's although all, all horror, all genres are visual. Um, but um, I think gothic is, as we were saying when we were talking before, it's also, it's, it's almost it's exquisite. It's almost taboo because it almost makes where, where horror a beautiful thing, which it shouldn't be really, should it, I suppose. Um, but you can't help but think of it like that. I mean, as you say, Hamlet is an is a absolutely perfect example. Macbeth, yes. sorry, Macbeth. But Hamlet well, too. Hamlet too, because the the way that the the story ebbs and flows, and you you don't you know there's evil there, and it's lurking right behind the door, and you want to pull the characters away from it, but it's like watching watching a train wreck. You can't because you want to see the train wreck happen. I saw actually a really old BBC when I was when I was studying theatre studies um, play of um, <laughs> Macbeth, and um, I know lots of people say, "Oh God, this is really boring and old-fashioned." But I was absolutely horrified at some of it. And this was really old. This was like a late seventies make of of it, and um, it was it it completely sent me cold. Absolutely. Um, but in like um, an addictive way, it's almost taboo. Yeah, uh, Lady Macbeth. The, the the quote that always, besides the the three witches, the quote that always comes to mind when I think of Macbeth is where she is walking through the castle, and in my mind the castle is dark and morbid, and she's yeah. wringing her hands and she's saying. Spots, spots, those damn spots. Oh, because God, she's gone yeah. quite mad, and she can't. She's killed needlessly, and she has this guilty conscience, and she sees blood on her hands. Yeah, absolutely. That just gave me goosebumps. Then thinking about that. <laughs> and of <laughs> course, the, the the three witches, the double, double, toil and trouble have always been a favorite of mine because as as Macbeth and, and the the guy that's with him come upon the witches, Macbeth is totally skeptical of the witches. He doesn't believe in their prophecies, and he scoffs at them, much to his detriment later on. And he it never dawns on him that what they told him was indeed going to come to pass – and he could have made different decisions, and it wouldn't have happened like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's genius, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's genius. Genius writing, really. And um, I don't think any author ever sets out to be, to be a gothic horror writer, actually. I think it just happens. I think it's just 
Um, and I, I think it's um, it's not something you can get away with, like we were talking about before. Um, that's just for me. It comes out like that, and 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 I, th- I think also Shakespeare explored um, insanity to call it that. Up. I mean, obviously nowadays we call it mental health, but in um, in an incredible way. You're right. He did, and and that in itself is a gothic horror. When you look at um, the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. She went insane when she was buried alive because she didn't die. So she went totally yes, insane and, and destroyed the house. Do you know? Do you know that was that was actually my um, panic station thing? I was thinking about for for years afterwards. I was like, oh my god, please God! You know the horror of that situation, the absolute horror. That was the first horror horror movie I ever saw. I was twelve years old. And from that day yeah. on, Poe became my my mentor in my mind and writing because between um, the actor, Vincent Price, and the storyline itself and the way that it was cinematic, the, the, the filming of it was done so well. You didn't have all the yeah. blood and all the guts and, and all that, it, but the, the connotation was there. The visual was there in your mind. That's it. You know, I, I think that's a good point because you, with gothic horror, you, it's it's really well alongside other different contemporary horrors, but it isn't generally particularly violent. Although you may write violent scenes, you won't explore the gore necessarily. If you do, it'll be in a very artistic way, which is exactly. um, it, 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 it's quite invasive Alfred actually because. Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock, oh, one of yeah. the best gothic horror filmmakers of all time. Oh wow, yeah, definitely. It scared me so bad as when I saw the Psycho that I could not take showers. I had to take baths because that scene, though you never saw anything but the shadow, that scene traumatized me for years. Oh, my Lord, yeah. Do you know what? Um, I was actually talking to my publisher about Psycho a while back, and the, and the remakes. I said, I won't even go near any remakes, I said, of that film, because it was just absolutely terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Still is nowadays. Yeah, and did you know you know who it was that, that actually did that scene? Hitchcock himself is the one taking the knife and slashing the curtain. And really? Yes. And Janet Lee said that scene terrified her so much that she never got over that scene. No, I can see that actually because it would you you would really have to get involved for that as well. So it'd be quite a sociological scene to to be in. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I and what, what was happening? He Hitchcock was trying to show the actor, how he wanted that scene to play out, and, and the film was running. And he was doing the scene. And when they went back and looked at that particular cut, it was so dramatic, They that's the cut they used. Gothic car at its finest. Yeah, so, sorry, I com- you completely went quiet then, so I didn't hear the last bit of, bit of what said you were that saying. Was, 
that when oh, yeah. they did the final cuts for that movie, that Alfred Hitchcock's portrayal of of the knife scene was so dramatic. That's the cut they used. Yeah, absolutely. It really was, though, wasn't it? I mean, it's just um, to, to think now that that Psycho will stand up against um, so many contemporary horror films. Now, there's actually a thing um, because horror horror went out of fashion for quite a long time. And there was a big thing on the online newspapers, which I read in Better Than Nighttime, and they said that horror was making a massive, resurfacing massively as a, a go-to. People were going to see it more at the cinemas. They were buying more horror books, and it's becoming... I've been watching for a while now on the papers. They said that horror will soon um, eclipse psychological thrillers because... People have got a little tired of, um, although not all, I know so many great authors who write psychological thrillers, but there's so many formula ones out there where they all look the same and sound the same. And that, that because horror's become so sprawling in as much as it encapsulates so many different subgenres, people are looking to it now and thinking, oh, wow, this is really fresh and everything. Um, so. Um, it's not. I think it's nice to see. And as, as we were saying with the Psycho, uh, I could never watch the remake of that that film ever. No. Ever. I couldn't. No. B- because the, you can't improve on the best, and and that that movie was the best out there. And to try to do a remake of it, because what they would try to do is they would try to improve it with blood and splatter and you. That one was done in black and white, and that's what gave it the darkness and the the gothic horror. Is everything yeah. was visual in one's mind? I think, uh, yeah, I think um, I don't I don't understand this. It's almost like a laziness where everything has to be remade or books have to be rewritten. Um, uh, this is going to sound I'm sure loads of you are going to disagree with me but death comes to Pemberley to follow on because I, I love some romantic literature but it has to be old romantic literature mainly for me um, death comes to Pemberley as a follow on to Pride and Prejudice I would never pick that up I could not do it I think I, 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 and, and all the rewrites and the remakes of films I don't watch or read any of them or follow them I don't think you can follow on from the great I don't think no. you can sit there and nobody can. I don't think you can be the greatest writer on this planet. You cannot follow on from anyone who's become a classical institution or with with readers. I don't think you should do that. I think it's almost laziness. You can't think up your own plot or something, and so you're going to follow on. I agree. I, and what what has happened is you're right. Filmmakers, screenwriters, playwrights, authors have gotten lazy in that they don't think of their own characters' plots and settings. Well, we'll go back and give, as you said, Pride and Prejudice a new spin. You can't improve. That's why they're called classics, because they have withstood the test of time over and over and yeah. over again. Yeah, it's perfectly put. They stood the test. So many books and films fall by the wayside, and you never hear about them again. These these have gone through the rigors of of culture changes, of um, 
liberations and um, of, of puritanical times and and they're still there and they're still they're probably the most popular books I suppose ever in bookshops that people go to and yeah. want to read or want to watch on TV or Let's take a quick break and run our last three ads because I want to talk about history and gothic, Carl, just like we talked about earlier. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, and we have gothic horror author Donna Maria McCarthy from England with us tonight. So hold on, and we'll be right back. We have more to talk about. Do you have cougars on your porch swing? Are horses your new best friend? Do your nicest shoes get buried knee-deep in snow as your toes turn blue? Are you bothered by wolves at your woodpile? No, not that kind of wolf. Join wildlife artist and author Nancy Quinn and her family as they discover an exciting new life in Go West, Young Woman, a true Montana adventure. Available online and in bookstores. Or visit quinnwildlifeart.com for a personalized signed copy. Critics agree, it's a hoot. Hi, this is Winona and Jade inviting you to join us and our wonderful guests on the And I Thought Women's Cave podcast on Blog Talk Radio to learn more about our books the And I Saw It series, and The Misfit Guides. They're available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNobles.com. Or just to see what your ladies are up to, you can find all of that out on www.andwethought.com. So peace and love from Winona and Jade and our books. <laughs> <laughs> you so silly. You silly. Remember Did you write that? That's funny. <laughs> Remember to visit us at andwethought.com. Former Boston PD Captain Stanford Carter and his wife, forensic scientist Jill Seacrest, have decided to move to the Big Apple to accept positions with the New York branch of the FBI. Rookie agent Shania Deeprose completes the Trinity as they collide head-on with raging and rampant social, political, and economic unrest amid a string of murders that seem unrelated and may be serial, copycat, thrill, or hate-driven as they struggle to understand the mind and thought process of the orchestrators, killers, and victims, the team begins to wonder who's who. The line between black and white, superior and subordinate, right and wrong, and good and evil disappears as they are forced to reevaluate their own thoughts, feelings, and philosophies. Ultimately, every character must come to their own conclusions to these questions. Is justice ever more important than the law? Is playing God justifiable if it's for the greater good of all? Come along for the ride to see if Agent Carter will decide to stick to being a hunter or become judge, jury, and executioner instead. Find the answers to these questions when you read the new book, The Killing Collective. The Killing Collective is a character-driven story with big characters with depth. They're soul-searching in addition to the biggest case of the agent's careers. The Killing Collective, available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback editions. Order your copy today. We are back. This is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with our guest tonight, 
gothic horror author Donna Maria McCarthy, and we're talking about the fact that gothic horror has been around almost since the beginning of time when Cain killed Abel. That was a gothic horror within itself. But also in history, especially in English history. And Donna, we were talking about the fact that the 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 British Empire and the the kings and the queens of the that those times were a classic example of Gothic horror. The the Plantagenets, the Tudors, they killed each other off like swatting flies. Plus, like you talked yeah. about, the torture things they used. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, those times were horrific. I, mean, I remember we were talking before we went live that um, there was no, there were, obviously there was law, but there was no real law for common people at all. And, and in fact, the laws were completely barbaric throughout throughout all classes. Um, and the tortures were horrendous. I, I, I'm writing a book set in medieval times at the moment. I knew a lot about them already, but some of them I've come up with literally to send you cold you cannot believe what they used to do um to each other i mean common people could go around doing things to each other as well just because they said something and it was allowed and um it's a crazy times. they were really really mad crazy times really so um yeah and, and the, the, the thing that that has stunned me in my study of of english literature is they went to war in the name of religion between the Catholic Church and the, the English Church, the, the English Reformation Church, and the Crusaders. They went to war, tortured and killed people who differed with them in the name of religion. Yeah. Now, if that's not, a, if that's so. not a, a case of Gothic horror, I don't know what is. No, it is, do you know, absolutely, yeah, because often with Gothic horror, you do associate a lot of religion with it as well, especially, um, especially the high church religions. And um, yeah, there's a, it, it, it's actually really juicy for writing about. But uh, cause if you do, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> um, it really is because um, I was just sitting here thinking, they would, they would people on the racks, they would. Burn them with um, with branding irons. They would hang them till they were almost dead. Then they would draw and quarter them. And it, their their excuse was, well, if you will renounce your faith and take on whatever the the religion of the day was, your death will be swift and painful. But if you don't, then we're going to put a board on top of you and drop rocks on you until you die a slow and painful death. Or we're going to hang burning, you and then draw hot, and quarter you yeah. while you're still alive. Or burning hot poker up the all the way through. Yes. That wasn't particularly good either. <laughs> Uh, you can't you can't believe the mentality of people in those days, can you? How people used to go and watch it as well. It was like us going to the cinema. They'd go and watch these things, thinking it was brilliant, and so it's almost like they were a, a completely different race of people, completely different, not human. Uh, I know they were. Times were different, and I suppose maybe because times were harsher, especially for poor people. Um, but. I can't equate with the people 
I don't ever think of them as human, the, the people who actually did those tortures. I can't think of them as human because I, I think basically human beings don't really change inside their soul. And I think if you're capable of that, then you would be capable of that in this day and age. So and therefore, that is very true. I think yeah. most of them are sociopaths anyway, narcissistic uh, sociopaths. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think they were. Uh, because I they think, really believe. Yeah, they really believed that what they were doing was right, and they had every right to do that. That if if they wanted one to believe a certain way, or they wanted one to behave a certain way, we're going to make an example out of the entire family, and you get to watch. Yeah, they, they certainly weren't romantic times, were they? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. But it's almost as if. I sometimes have this mad thought that sometimes if one sociopath, one one lunatic, got into a position of power and then he had a network of others and it all went... But you can't say that because it's been since the age of time. I mean, look at the Romans and mm-hmm. um, and everything like that. But it's just... It's, yeah, I don't know. If you believe in evil as as an entity... I think I think it's present in people. I, I, mean, I, I do actually believe. I think sometimes you can walk past somebody and you just go cold. And you don't know them. You just think, oh, my God, I just want to get away from that person. Then yeah. I think that there, if you look, especially look back in time, because it's far more policed now, that, that it was prevalent. It was almost a platform for it those times. It was almost like, hey, evil, here's your time. You know, go for it. Well, let's um, let's even come further up into history. Think about Nazi Germany. Talking about Gothic horror at its, at its finest. Oh God! Yeah. yeah. Hitler was going to wipe out a whole ethnic race of people just because they were Jewish or Polish or Romanese or whatever reason that he thought they didn't need to live anymore. And if he didn't wipe them out, he and his mad scientists did experiments on them. Oh, that was horrific. That actually makes my hair stand on end thinking about that time, that that time in a, in 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 it, and um, he wouldn't have stopped there either. Had he not been stopped, he would not have stopped. He was like the most enormous socio sociopath that we will ever know. I think that was ever allowed to be in a in a position of power. I mean, he completely hoodwinked. Uh, well, hoodwinked more than his own country. There were people oh, in the world who. Yeah, who believes in Hitler? Um, I actually have got a relative whose um, great grandmother um, came from Germany, and would tell her stories. Then, generally, most German people didn't know what was going on, particularly mm-hmm. not until right at the end, where um, and, um, and they said the absolute horror of uh, they actually came to England because of it. They left Germany because they didn't want to be. Um, part of that place which is such a sad thing but I do believe I do believe you couldn't have a whole nation of people wanting that to happen so when people say we had no clue I do tend to believe them I think I think if you if you were behind Hitler you wouldn't be scared of saying you're behind Hitler because you'd be a lunatic anyway so I think people <laughs> genuinely say that they didn't know they didn't know I think well and a, a friend of my mother's who, who lived in Germany, she said that when he first came to power, they thought he was wonderful because he promised yeah. the chicken in every pot and he did this and everybody would have jobs and everybody would have money and everybody would do this. And he he literally mesmerized 
the general population into he was so charismatic into believing oh, that yeah. he was their savior. And do you know what he he, he timed it just right because they were just coming out. They was in a depression, wasn't they? Um, yes. And he he, got, he 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 appeared like like this. I'm going to wipe all this away, get rid of all of this. And we actually um, there's a few politicians around, especially in Britain, who I think. Britain is in a in a in a in a quite a big depression at the moment, and I think they try to get into power, and really all that we've got inside them is hatred. But they and you see people being hoodwinked by them. Oh, they promised this, they promised that, and everything. And um, that's when you get some real nasty people when a country's struggling. That's when and they think I can now manipulate and control these people. And and that brings me full circle. To your, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about Donna's books. Aren't y'all glad that we just led right up to this? The very first book that Donna wrote is called The Hangman's Hitch, and I want to read the synopsis because as I was going through and doing my deep dive on her today and I'm reading the synopsis of her books, I'm going, oh, my word, it's a female Edgar Allan Poe. And <laughs> The hangman's hitch goes something like this. The hangman's hitch, the end at the end of your world, where satanic is the order of the day and your soul required to pay for your stay. That's poetic verse within itself. This is a dark and thrilling tale that captures the tragedy of a man forsaken by all but one. After the humiliation of refusing to duel, Frederick Abbotsby Fletsom finds himself so far from God that the devil's hand seems heaven sent. The hangman's hitch, hitch, I can't talk, an 18th century inn and portal to hell is offered as sanctuary by the equivocal Joseph Black, devil in all but name. Here the slippery path to evil is easy, even if Frederick's vanity throughout would have made it otherwise. Murder, manipulation, and cannibalism are offered as daily fodder, and the utter sophistication and stealth-like menace of Joseph Black make all seem palatable, preferable, and essential. Dangerous and unusual romances bloom, but with the devil intent on total conquest, can Frederick's lost and desperate soul find eternal salvation? Where in the world, my friend, did you find this plot line? This is absolutely amazing. It has everything in it. Oh wow! Thank you. Yeah. Do you know what? That that that's that's my baby, and it always it, it, it just thought I absolutely still love that book. Um, I just thought about. Um, um, you know, at some point in everybody's life, they've been so, I think everybody, so desperate at one point in your life. And it it's only varies by degree that you get to a point where you think you've got absolutely nothing. There's no faith, there's no nothing, and it can be anything that's triggered it. And you think, if the, if, if the devil was going to come to you, he wouldn't appear as the devil, would he? I think he'd be far too clever to say, I'm going to help you take my hand. And if you was in such a desperate place in your life, could you blame the person that did it? And, and uh, I don't know. It's, it's a it's a funny story because it's it's so twisted in so many ways. You're not sure 
who to like, who be like the devil, or you like his victims, or it's just <clears throat> I always thought the devil would be very clever and he wouldn't turn up with horns and a forked tail and forked tongue and and a long tail and a, and things. I think he would offer you a hand at your most desperate time and then he'd have you. And then obviously I set it in a time that I love. I, I enjoy the words from the 18th century and the 17th, the way they spoke. So. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't write it in as much as you wouldn't understand. I write it, it as we would understand now, but it's still, still, I hope, authentic to the times. But yeah, it was just, it's, it's, it's a fascination with, with that sort of points in people's lives. What do they do when they reach for something when they're so low, you know? And you're right. The devil does not come as he truly is. He comes in the form of goodness. He comes like a yeah. sheep. Like a wolf in, in sheep's clothing, he makes things attractive, and he he winds you up and twists you up and turns you in knots to the point that you owe your soul to him because he's given you all of this wonderful stuff. So you're not at the bottom of the well anymore. You're on top of the mountain that's made of sand. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I I, I ordered. Uh, the, one of the other books, but I, I am getting this one because, like I said, Edgar Allan Poe at his finest, you, you are reincarnated just from the synopsis. The Meddler. <laughs> now, I was reading the synopsis here. Ladies and gentlemen, this woman, if you haven't read her, you ha- no, y'all can't go now. You've got to wait. We've got a few more minutes. The Meddler. Meet the Meddler in this exquisite, timeless fairy tale for grown-ups. Hare's Folly, a town with many deep, dark secrets and demons the same. Beset by murder and horrific ritualistic mutilations, they look to blame any but themselves and harbor the most evil of entities, nurturing the satanic brood. The meddler is a creature that sees all, both good and evil, residing in the subconscious of even the most brutal and sadistic of souls. No thought escapes him, and neither will evolution, as faithfully he begins to lose the ability to foresee. Hare's folly will oust its devils, but at the ultimate cost. Grief will wash clean those that came full of hatred to rid themselves of guilt, whilst those that are beyond anything good will revel in this tragedy and feast on the pain. Where in the world? Tell me about this book. Do, do, do you know what? That was a complete um, step down for what I'm, I'm used to writing, which is normally historical, horror, gothic, horror fiction. Although there's, it's, it's, although it's gothic horror in many ways, it's, it's got a slight element of fantasy about it. Only slight because it's more suggested. Um, but I just, I literally, I was just, I was in the New Forest, which is quite near me um, where I live, and just out there and. I had my iPhone because I wrote on my iPhone initially, and just the first the first paragraph came to me. And I had to write it; it just went from there. Really, um, I really enjoyed writing. I don't know if I'd ever go back to fantasy again, but you know, at some point in every writer's life, they have to do what they're compelled to do, and I had to write that story in the end. So, um, but yeah, I, I had no no idea where that one came from myself because it's. It's, it's such a funny one, really, for me, um, although I love it dearly. And I always try to include members of my families in my books. And I've got my, I've got a sketch of my dad in there as Reuben and my brother as Malachi in it. Um, so 
I, I just do. You know, you know, people have quirks, also have quirks. At some point in every book, you'll find somebody who I love, or a friend, or a member, of, or something somebody said that they're known for. And with the medley, I, I don't know where it came from. I don't think I'd ever go back to fantasy again. Um, but it's an amazing, just the synopsis of the story makes me want to go get the book and go sit in the forest and read it. It's got lots of poetry in it, but I, I put poetry in all my books, a little bit of poetry in all my books. The medley actually is, is, is almost, when you read it, almost like um, poetic all the way throughout. But, uh, but I think it suited it because it was supposed to be a gothic fairy tale, so... And that's how it came out of me. But I do like to include a little bit of poetry in all my books, actually. I love poetry. The Tina Marie, I just read Dark Musings. Oh, my God, that is incredible poetry. It is so dark. Um, um, I, probably my first love is to read poetry. Um, and the, yeah, thing poetry, the, the thing about poetry, the thing about poetry, well, in, in books in general is, we get out of it what we put into it, and and books yeah. and poetry are open to interpretation. They are absolutely. Um, I think I think I think. It, in fact, actually, most books that I've read have some poetic form, even if it's just the way the words are placed, and even if you just find it by accident, like an algorithm or something. Um, mm-hmm. It, 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 you, that I think most, I think all authors are actually poetic in their souls. They have to be because I think all books are works of art. I think every single uh, book should, should also be in paperback because you wouldn't. If say you had the money to buy Van Gogh, you probably wouldn't buy a big computer-generated version of Van Gogh. You'd want to buy either a really good print and put it in a frame right. on your wall, or you, or you would buy. So I think although Kindle is an excellent thing, and it's brilliant because it makes books more accessible to people, I dread to think that they'd ever get rid of paperbacks in a form. Or bookshops. Oh, I love bookshops. I could, we've got an enormous one here that's looking to close down. It's been an institution called Waterstones. Um, um, but I think it's rallied a bit. It would be such a shame to see all those beautiful books not, not in an art form, if you know what I mean, not in a physical art form. I agree. I'm I'm sitting here in my studio, and I'm looking at all of the books that I have on my bookshelves. Biddy Trot is the book that I downloaded. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the reason I downloaded this one really, really jumped out at me. And it says, "If If Biddy knows no rest, then none shall. A tragedy born of malice and evil, a tortured body and soul. The townsfolk of Royal Rumney have a conscience, a secret that tears away at their sanity. Any soul shall be offered up in place of the damned, and ever the church bells tell a lie. Is Biddy who comes and another will die. See, there's that poetic license again. Set in 18th century England in the small market town of Royal Rumney, Biddy Trot is a gothic car novella with tragedy at its core. A young girl falsely blamed for a fire which destroyed the town and killed many is hunted down, tortured, there we are with tortured again, and killed gruesomely with no conscience. Lord Abner Alexander, a member of the elite and privileged, travels to the town in search of some peace and respite from his very broady and raucous lifestyle. The town seems pleasant enough and the people welcoming, although unyielding, where their dark and harrowing past is concerned. 
Amongst some shame, amongst others a distorted pride. Abner's first indication that something evil lurks here is on his first night where the Abbey Bells told to, and he finds himself witness to a terrifying slaying. Not knowing whether it is a dream or not, he remains and becomes bewitched by a passion to record any horrors he feels he witnesses. Where in the world, my dear, did that one come from? This is actually, um, this, this one, I love telling the story where this comes from. I used to live in this market town called Romsey in um, Hampshire, tiny little market town. It seemed all really lovely. And it actually is. Um, I've changed all the names of things, so I would hate people to think I was. Um, but I went out on a night time there, and the, the Beggar's Bowl Fair was on, and they was all dressed up, all the people, and a tiny little cozy little streets crowned with tiny little ancient houses and it just seemed a bit wicker manish if you know what I mean to me yeah you ever get that sort of go cold and you think oh my god what am I doing here and, it, and you feel like a complete alien I've been living there a year at the time and um I'd, it was all very pagan obviously I'm British so I'm used to pagan rituals and everything like that I've been in our history forever we've still got pagans now um uh-huh. and I've done some some pagan things myself but um, it was it, it really scared me. And I came home that night, and my street that I lived in was pitch black. And it just seemed deathly quiet. And I, I've never been so glad to get home. And I just started writing it. I changed the name from Romsey to Royal Rumley because during the, for the rest of the time I was there, people seemed fine. And there is an enormous abbey there, Romsey Abbey, which is quite famous. Um so I've ch- I changed the name of the place and, and the name of the pub, which the actual pub's called the White Horse, but I changed it to the Ragged Ram. Um, but it, it was just that I think I think it's writers in general have far too vivid imagination. There's nothing wrong with the people of Romsey. It was just me having a, de- a, a day terror, a night terror while I was out. But um, that's where it came from. And um, I've been back to Romsey since, and it's a beautiful little place. Just that night. That particular night at the Beggar's Bowl Fair, it was creepy to me, so creepy. But see, don't some of our best ideas come some come some come out of some of the most unusual circumstances? Yeah, they absolutely do. Do you know what? As well? like, well, sometimes one word can strike you, and you just think you'll write a book around one word that you've heard. Oh, absolutely. That's how the Pink Canary came about that I wrote. My my friend thought she was yeah. writing Pink Camaro, and it came out Pink Canary. And then all of a sudden, these characters were popping in and out of my head. So I understand exactly what you were saying. Once you got home, the, the town took on a new sinister, sinister, dark meaning, and you had to write it down. Yeah, I mean, people were walking along with torches, and I think because it was such a pitch-black night, and the torches were shining on their faces, and there was all sorts of pagan things going on. But you know, it was just purely a Romney thing. I think that's what it was, because because I'd gone to live there, because it was purely just the Romney and Romney inhabitants thing this night. I felt completely alien, and in fact, it, in fact, I, I don't even think it was a wrong feeling. I think that they literally were thinking this is just for us. This has been going on since Romney's been here for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So I think um, it wasn't really for me to be there that night, although I just thought, being an idiot, oh, I'm going down to the Vegas Bowl Fair, I'm going to have some, have a drink and really enjoy myself, but I didn't. <laughs> and, and, and it was 
and they were probably harmless. They were just doing their pagan thing, and maybe because you felt like you didn't belong, that the eyes were watching you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I think if you're awkward somewhere, people will sense that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Why did that become so awkward though? That's a funny thing. Maybe it was just, as I said, silly, vivid imagination and. Um, um, maybe that's when we as writers, when you get that moment of inspiration, maybe you are so susceptible then to anything. That's because that's when your mind starts painting pictures again for the next book you're going to write and things. So, if you are out and about amongst people with torches, <laughs> maybe it becomes a little bit more scary than it should be. <laughs> Time to go home and write. So let me ask you this: With that being said, what is your next project? Well, I'm actually um, I've got. Um, the Hangman Fitch is being re-released by Hellbound Books, um, who is my publisher now for all of my books. That's being released summer. I've got another one coming out in the winter, which is a novella, and I'm writing a medieval gothic horror at the moment, um, which I'm about 32k into. So, um, so you would be willing I'm to hoping... come back when those books are released? Absolutely, I'd love to. This has been so much fun. As we say, I was so nervous before I come on, but you are brilliant. I've had such a lovely time. Well, thank you. Well, you remember when I said that I'm that the time would come when I'm going to say our time is running out? Well, our yep. time is running out. Our hour is almost <laughs> done. I, I told you it would go by gone. fast. It would go by yeah. very, very fast. Because we talked about so many wonderful things. And like you said, our history makes our storytelling what it is and history is full of gothic yeah. horror. So with that being said, my friend, please no y'all can't go yet because you don't know where to get the books. Tell the folks where you can be found and where your books can be found. Okay, well, um my books can all be found on the Hellbound Books publishing website and you can get them through the links so you can go to whatever Amazon you are, Amazon Canada, Amazon America, Amazon India, Amazon England, or Nook, or Kobe, or you can go straight onto Amazon. They're also hellbound to put them onto thousands of different sites like Waterstones and Foils and everywhere as well. And I'm on Facebook and on Twitter. Anybody can connect with me. I don't mind. I've got so many friends on Facebook, it's ridiculous. And I actually do attempt to speak to them all constantly. So a lot of my... I spend a lot of time and on I social media. I'm supposed to be working. She yeah, speaks to me quite often. <laughs> and I love her for it. Because we have so much fun together. So, ladies yeah, and gentlemen, we, we will not be having a show tomorrow night or Saturday night. I'm going to take a couple of nights off and and be with my husband, who, like I said, is, is declining very fast. And, and it's important that I spend some time with him. And don't hang up when the show goes dark, Donna, because I've got some things to tell you. But before it does go dark, I want to say thank you so, so much for spending an hour with me. We talked about so many things, and and one of them is, of course, English literature and English history, which are two of my favorite things to talk about. Me too. And to be able to to talk with someone who's, who's actually in country that understands the the beauty and the horror of of English literature and English history is so humbling and wonderful to me. So thank you for the honor of doing that and for writing such beautiful works. 
Oh, thank you. That's lovely of you. You are quite welcome. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we will start up fresh next Wednesday night. I don't remember who I have on the schedule. I don't even think I have the show set yet, but I will set it. And continue to support the show, support our guests, because this is how they get out there. And they need you to pay it forward and to support their works, help them make a little bit of dollars, and love their work. Because as as authors, we don't know if you like our work or not unless you let us know. Same thing with musicians. And if you don't, that's okay. It's not for everybody. But those of you who like it, Gothic Car is the end thing. I'm telling you, it is wonderful. I've loved it for years. It never got old with me. So with that being said, we are going to close our evening and um, be with you next Wednesday night. Now, you know, there's some things that I say at the close of every show because I feel like that it is important. When you look in the mirror in the morning, don't say, I'm going to feel special today. You look in the mirror and you say, I am special. Because feelings are fleeting. They come, they go. You look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I am special. There is only one like me. There's nobody else like me. I am unique. And because of that, I have a place in this world. I have a purpose. And find that purpose and lead a purpose-driven life. And also remember that, that people will forget your name. They will forget what you look like. They will forget what you're wearing. But they will never, ever, ever forget how you have made them feel. And it is my my goal and my dream that every one of you who listen to this show and every one of my guests that come on this show, when we close down the show, that they each of you feel special, feel honored, and know that without you in my life, my life would be so different. It would be missing something. It would be missing you because each one of you are important. So... When you see someone, speak to them, because you don't know what journey they're on. You don't know what they have going on in their life. A kind word, a smile makes a lot of difference. And if you want to achieve greatness, ladies and gentlemen, don't ask permission, because nobody's going to give it to you. You just go out and do it. Because people, as a general rule, are afraid of stepping out of their comfort zone. So what they do is they want to keep people around them that are also afraid of stepping out of their comfort zone. It makes them feel good. Step out of your comfort zone because at the end of your days, you don't want to say, well, shoulda, woulda, coulda. I just told a friend this evening, I said, plan for tomorrow, but live today like it's your last because it very well could be. So whatever it is you want to do, whether it's garbage collector, whether it's president, whether it's king, whether it's symphony orchestra conductor, whatever it is that you want to do, Find a way to do it Because we only go around once So with that being said I will once again say Thank you all for listening Please continue your prayers and and thoughts For my husband and myself Because being a caregiver Is not the easiest thing in the world And being ill Is definitely not the easiest thing in the world And Lord willing, and the creeks don't rise, as we say in the South, we will see you all next Wednesday night here on Off the Chain. My guest, Donna Maria McCarthy, and I wish you all a wonderful, wonderful good evening and a wonderful weekend. So until next time, this is Off the Chain, and we say good evening.
so we're off the air, but everything we said okay. will go up in the archive show. But what I wanted to tell you is that when we get off from here, this thing will go up into archives, and once it hits the archives, I will post it on my page. I'll post the link. I will tag you in it, and my gift to you oh, is you take that. You take that link and you share it with everybody. Oh, Tomorrow, I will. And you will have fun doing it. Tomorrow I will post the show up on SoundCloud, Mixcloud, Spreaker, Podcast.com, Podcast Garden. I will post those links on my page. They also, I will tag you in them. Once I post those podcasts up, they also go up to iTunes and YouTube and FM.com and TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, several other podcasts that I don't put it up on, but somebody else does. So you have the opportunity to be heard all over the world. So you take all oh, those podcasts. Yes. You take all those podcasts and you blast them out. And if you go from after tomorrow, if you Google your name and off the chain, you're going to see this show everywhere. Oh, that is so cool. Yes, ma'am. You will be famous. <laughs> well, yeah. One moment, same. You know, I'm just about to cough and I haven't coughed the whole time. See, <laughs> I'm t- awful see? So let me get off of here and go see about my husband. Thank <laughs> you so much, Donna, for, for taking I'll the time to spend an hour tonight. with me. And I hope you had as much fun as I did. I really do. It's lovely talking, absolutely lovely talking, and you and my prayers, both you and your husband. Thank you, sweetheart. That means a lot to me. And see, and you, you were not nervous at all, were you? No, not with you. I think you're excellent. I really, really enjoyed it. It was, was literally just like me and you were talking. It was brilliant. Yes, yes. That, because I don't do the scripted show, because I have no idea where the no. conversation is. Yeah, it's really organic, wasn't it? Which is comfortable for people, I think. Yes, because we're just having a conversation about things we enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. So I will, I will keep your name because I do want you to come back. Keep me in the loop about your books and what they're about and when they're coming out, so we can get you on the show and launch them on the show. Oh, lovely! Thank you so much, Yvonne. I've had a lovely time, and you have a good, good and if, evening. If, if, you, if you ever come to the east coast of Florida, let me know. Oh, please, I would love to, and I definitely will let you know. I need All to right, go to darling. America. All right, oh, well, you, you need take care. Down. You too, my darling. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.